0: Have you ever felt anxious? Often. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I think everyone feels anxious at some point in their lives. Uh, actually, I have an appointment with, with uh, anxious thoughts and feelings. Uh, every Sunday morning at around 5.30 a.m., My alarm goes off and the anxious feelings begin. Sometimes we even start early. We like to get together so much, we start uh, having that appointment sometime on Saturday night. Now, you may ask, Pastor Brian, how on earth do you feel anxious on a Sunday morning? Well, some of you wondered that, not all of you, but some of you did, and I appreciate that. It's because I am wondering, is there anything that I have forgotten about today? Is there anything that I've forgotten to get ready for? Is there anything that I still need to do? Is there something that we could do better? Is someone going to call out sick and say, hey, I can't make it and we need to juggle everyone from different places to different times? Do I remember what I'm talking about on Sunday? Do I remember the songs? Actually, uh, we were just in the worship team practicing on that brand new song that we just sang, or brand new to me, playing it on the drums, that song, Battle Belongs. And that's the first time I've drummed that song. And I practiced it all week. And I came on Sunday, and my body decided to go, do you even remember that song at all? I just didn't know where to hit and what where and stuff. It was so uh, challenging, and I didn't know why that was. And, and just that anxious moment that happens Well, it's a regular appointment with me every Sunday. Is that just me? Or does that happen to you as well? You feel anxious? Maybe not on a Sunday. Maybe you don't feel as anxious as I do. But maybe that's Monday morning. When you're thinking about all of the things that you need to do that week. Is that you? Yeah, a few of you, yeah. Maybe it's, um, for some of you, it's the kids. feel anxious about kids, your kids. Not other people's kids, although that can sometimes happen. (laughs) But you feel anxious about your kids. Anxious about relationships. I've had conversations with folks who are frustrated about having difficult conversations. Maybe a need to confront someone you love or have a difficult discussion with someone. That can make you feel anxious. Maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe it's, it's not just a, a low sort of feeling of anxiousness that is underneath the surface, but it's something bigger because you're waiting for that job response. Or you're waiting for that doctor's report to tell you what's happening. I think every one of us feels anxious. And I think every one of us feels anxious, so much so that it's part of the human experience that we don't really wrestle with. How do we solve those anxious thoughts? Anxiety, according to the dictionary, is defined as experiencing worry, unease, nervousness. But typically, it's about an imminent event or something that has an uncertain outcome something's coming down the line and you don't know what it is. And your feelings start to tell you to look out. Look out, that's coming. Take care. And it starts to create that feeling. It's described, I I describe it as the look out feeling. Um, Something is coming. And that feeling can be hard to overcome. Even for Christians. Christians. That feeling can be hard to overcome. But should it be? Should it be something that is hard for us to overcome? We're in the middle of a series called This Is Us. And we've been looking at the core values of who we are as a church. Very first week, two weeks ago, we talked about how at the core of us, Is Jesus, experiencing him in a way that our denomination calls the fourfold gospel. Jesus as our savior. But he's more than just our savior. He's our sanctifier. Jesus is our healer and Jesus is our coming king. That at the core of life is our relationship with Jesus. Then we talked started last week to talk about how do we live that out? How do we begin to experience the fourfold gospel reality in our own personal lives? Well, last week, we talked about the very first core value that lost people matter to God and he wants them found. That was last week. And the, the challenge of that verse was that lost people are worth our time. And I hope you took some time this week to consider how lost people can have a slice of your time. And our next core value is this. Prayer is the primary work of the people of God. Why don't we read that together? Let's read that out loud together on the count of three. One, two, three. Prayer is the primary work of the people of God. We believe that's true, right? But in my experience, we act like there's something else that needs to happen. That there's other things that need to happen. It's not prayer that is the primary work. It's, it's something else that we need to do. We believe that prayer is our primary work, but we have difficulty living it out. Why is that? Why is prayer our primary work? I want to give you a chance, if you're watching us and joining us online, to share your thought on why would the Alliance... Call prayer a work? Why is that something that is work to us? Why why is prayer difficult? Something that we have to work out. I want to give you a chance to share your thoughts online, to type an answer in chat. And we're going to check on those answers a little bit later if we have any. But I also want to give you a chance in person to share your thoughts on why is prayer work? Why is prayer hard? What do you think? You shout out your answer from where you are. Why do you think prayer is work? Why is prayer hard? What do you think? We don't value, it. We don't value prayer enough. We don't see, maybe um, we don't see results. We just don't prioritize it. Uh, it doesn't end up in our schedule very much. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, uh, a lot of people, their devotional life is that. Uh, Let me just get the daily bread. I'm going to read a couple of minutes, and that's it. And then I'm going to pray for a couple of minutes, and that's it. So compared to the rest of the time we have in our day, we don't pray without ceasing. Yeah. We don't value prayer enough. What else? Why do you think prayer is hard? Takes dedication and effort. Takes effort. It takes effort to pray, doesn't it? Not just scheduling a time, but how do you pray? What do you pray for? It's great. What else? Why is prayer work? What makes prayer difficult? Sometimes you have to be, more vulnerable. Sometimes you have to be vulnerable in prayer. So admitting weakness, challenge, uncertainty, I don't know what to do. That's, that is so Apropos, uh, yeah, um, it, it's the struggle of pride, right? That, wait, I've been a Christian for this long. I'm supposed to have it all together. Why don't I have it all together? Yeah. Why else is prayer hard? Why is prayer work? One more. To it so that don't think you're to <laughs> Fair enough. If, if you are praying, sometimes people look at you and go, what are you doing? Right? And as an extension of that, that's a great observation. As an extension of that, um, our culture has devalued prayer. When people say thoughts and prayers to those who are affected by a tragedy, they're laughed at. They're mocked. Because, whoa, you know, if you did something, you wouldn't need to give them thoughts and prayers. This would have never happened in the first place, right? Of course. So people think you're weird if you say that you pray. What about online? Josiah, do we have any responses from those online? We have someone. All right, let's take a look. We have a couple of folks here. We have uh, A and J saying that we get distracted quickly. Uh, Jeff Texture has said that we don't believe that we are worthy to have our prayers answered. Ken has said uh, focusing on what to pray for. Uh, Those are some great questions. Anything on Facebook or just Just on our online stream. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. Hey, you guys get to see, get to saw the, let me try that again in English. You guys got to see those who are participating and joining us online. Isn't that awesome? That was very cool. So thank you guys for making that work uh, this morning uh, as well. So I want to share one reason I think prayer is difficult. I think prayer is work because, because it's not natural to us. It's an extension of what was shared uh, that Mary Miller shared about how we have to admit that we may have some weaknesses or there's some things we don't know. We have to be vulnerable. It, we naturally want to handle things on our own. And so over time, what that does for Christians in, and for all people is that it divides the, here's the things that I do, and then here's the things that God can do, and we divide them by size of the task, Right? We decide them by, well, this is something that I can do because it's small and it's regular and it's routine. But this is too big. The tsunami is too big. The flood's too big. The hurricane's too big. The pandemic's too big. So we're going to give those things to God, but we're not going to bother him with all of the little things. We divide what we think God should be handling and what we should be handling. And to an extent, that's true. There are things that God has commanded us to do and commanded us to obey, and we are to obey them. We are to do them. But prayer is work because we divide that task and say, well, here's the stuff for God, and then here's the stuff for me. And the Bible presents an entirely different picture of why we should work at prayer. This is why we should make prayer our primary work. And we see it in this uh, letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. uh, Philippians chapter 4. If you have a Bible with you, you're welcome to turn there with me. But it's just a couple of short verses that we want to show you on the screen as well. Here they are. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me me read that again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation... By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's what Paul's saying We should make prayer our primary work, we must prioritize prayer as our primary work. Because of the benefit it brings us. Prayer brings us peace. Prayer brings peace. How does that work? Because I've prayed sometimes and nothing's changed. I still feel the same. Well, I think Paul is talking about a different way of praying than maybe you and I actually practice praying. Prayer works because of who we are praying to not because we are praying prayer works because of who we are talking to we have a God who cares and who can I remember the best uh, explanation of what prayer is and what this verse is describing it's describing the benefit that people of God have with God as their heavenly father. That they get to burst into the throne room of heaven. And they get to share, this is what's happening in my life, God. Here's all of the things that are happening with, in my day. And God loves that. Yes, in, when we run into the gates of heaven, there is certainly an aspect of his holiness that we are not to take lightly. But God loves it when his children phone home. And say, here's what's happening in my life. Here's some things that are going on. I'm not sure of all of the things that are happening here, but I'm presenting these things to you. How many of you have kids? How many of you like it when your kids phone home? Yeah, the exact same number of people. How many of you, when the phone rings and it's your kid, goes, "Ugh, them again. Come on, it's terrible. Don't put up your hand." If you put up your hand, someone's elbowing you, either close to you or should be close to you. Nobody does that. Nobody doesn't want their kids to phone home. Even if there's, there's a distant relationship, even if it's a broken relationship, they love it when, hey, it's so-and-so, maybe they have some news, maybe something's happening. I love it when, um, you know, Josh, our son, comes home and says, here's what's going on in my day and here's what's going on in my life. That's how your heavenly father feels about you. About the things that are going on in your life. The day that you've been having. The things that you're feeling. The things that you're experiencing. He loves it when you burst into his throne room and say, Dad, you wouldn't believe the day I've had. Tell me about it. That's what Paul is saying here. He loves it when we share all of the things with him, And we can do that informally and formally. That's the difference between prayers and petitions. Prayers are the little things, the conversational things that we often do when we're with a group, right? You know, bless so-and-so as they travel and, you know, bless their day and things like that. Petitions are the things that we know that only God can do. So, small stuff and big stuff, the formal petition... That's what we want to bring to God. And the proof of this is the peace that we receive. But it's a kind of peace that, well, it, we usually stop the verse too soon. Uh, Emily, if we can have the verse just up uh, on the screen one more time real quick. I want to show you something. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Is not the end of the verse. <laughs> It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Thanks, Emily. And what Paul is writing here is a deliberate way that says when we pray, we are recentering our thoughts back to who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and get this, this is so important for us not to miss, and what he is doing. And this is how we know this. This is the problem with topical sermons, by the way. The problem with topical sermons is that preachers helicopter in. And like uh, the toy game with the claw. Where you're coming down to get a toy. You, you pick the one thing that you want. And you try and get that back to the basket. So then you can talk about that. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 is part of an entire book. For those of you who are in person, um, what kind of book is this? This book of the Bible called Philippians? It's a letter. From who? Who's Paul? Who is Paul? What's his job? He used, to, well, he used, that's his former job. That, his former job was to kill Christians, but what's his current job? He's an apostle. What's an apostle? He's a follower of Christ, but he's more. He's a preacher, absolutely, but what else? What's an apostle? An apostle is someone who has seen the risen Lord, and the risen Lord has given them a specific job to do. That makes them unique among most people. And most scholars today say that a job description that would be close to an apostle would be a church planter. Someone who's going all around developing churches, developing leaders to lead that churches. Then he leaves or she leaves and and he or she goes to another place and does the same process over again. He's church planting. So, he's written a book. He's written a letter to the Philippians. Philippians. What do we know about them? Uh Uh-oh. Didn't know there'd be homework today. (laughs) No, let me tell you what we know about them. And here's sort of a clue about how to read your Bible. When we read our Bible, it is so helpful not to take slices, but to take an afternoon and read through the whole letter. Just read it. Forget that there are numbers and chapters. Just take the whole letter and read it. And the joy of reading a book like Philippians is that in these verses, you're just starting at the end. You're already done. You've got like a few more thoughts and then it's over. But there's a unified thought. And here's what we know about why Paul would write this. Paul did not go to the Hallmark store. Grab a card that says, ooh, that's a good thought. I could include that to the letter to the Philippians because I was really having a problem, you know, finishing the letter. What we know is the reason why Paul would write them is because the things he's encouraging them to do are not happening in their church. So here's what we know from Philippians 1, 2, and 3. This was a church under pressure from cultural differences outside the church and inside the church. There was a Roman emperor, and he felt that he was divine. And people were told, as part of the social contract of belonging to Rome, that you could worship whoever you want, but you had to include worshiping the emperor at the same time. And Christians said, no, there is only one God, and we worship him. There is no politician that is worth our worship. And so they started to lose their jobs. They started to lose their place in the marketplace. They started to be shunned in society because they said, We will not worship an emperor. But it was also, this pressure was also coming from inside the church. You had this issue that, um, well, Judaizers were coming. And Judaizers is just a, a a theological Christian term for those who were coming and saying, Jesus is good, but then you need to apply all of the laws that we were taught from the Old Testament, including the food laws and sacrificial laws and ceremonial laws. You have to adopt all the celebrations that we do as Jews. In other words, in order to be truly Christian, you have to act like a Jewish person. And so they were coming. So there's all this pressure from outside to conform. There's all this pressure from inside to conform. And you know what happens when there's pressure to conform? You start to say, well, what's in it for me? We experience that. Church starts to go through stress. They start to go through challenge. Maybe they shrink in size or maybe the whole world experiences a pandemic. I don't know. You pick. And all of a sudden, people start thinking, well, wait, what's in this for me? And Paul says, You need to act like Jesus. We get that famous hymn in chapter 2 where we learn that Jesus was in very nature God but did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something that he had to earn. He was God. And he gave it all up to become a servant. And he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And because of his obedience to the Father, him laying down his life even to death, God raised him from the dead and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you see, the church that had been acting was, was encouraged to pursue humility They were encouraged to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And do everything without complaining or arguing. Which meant what? That the Philippian church was not pursuing humility. They were living selfishly. They were doing things out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. And they were doing things with complaining, with arguing. That's why Paul would encourage them to switch. And he used the example of Jesus to say this. And you talk about a guy who understood what it meant to switch sides and switch teams. He would write in the letter that he, was a, he had all the confidence in the flesh, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee, faultless in every way when it came to legalistic righteousness, but he changed teams because he personally knew that Jesus was better, so much so that he wrote this truth in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, right off the top of the letter. He says, I'm being thankful to God for all of you, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's read that together. Three, two, one. This, you, what God has started, he will finish. And it's all centered around Jesus. God is writing a story. And he has put you at a particular part in that story. And that story's not done yet. So here's what prayer does. When we look at, here's the situations that we have and why prayer is work. Is that our situations often tell us, often scream at us sometimes. Look out. And what prayer does is changes that from look out to look up. Prayer changes us, moves us from look out to look up. That's what God is doing. In a a strange way, this is like um, hearing the phrase, oh, just wait till your father gets home. Right? Now that's... Often negative. I don't know of many people who say that positively. You know, it was often a warning to us as kids. Maybe in other families, you were probably fine. But in other kids' families, they told you stories about how mom would say, well, just wait till your father gets home. Uh, In in my family, uh, I grew up without a dad. And my mom was both mom and dad. And so my grandmother would often say, just wait till your mother gets home. And that put more fear in me than just wait till your father gets home. For Christians, what prayer does is remind us, just wait till our father comes home. Just wait. Not the end of the story. The situation that we're in is not the end of the story. The pandemic that we're in is not the end of the story. The challenges that our church is facing is not the end of the story. And prayer moves us from focusing on the the circumstance, the look out, to look up. Just wait till our father gets home. And that starts to bring us peace. Because what we are reminded of. Is that Jesus did a work. And God raised him from the dead. And now he has the greatest name. That every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord. That's the plan that he is doing. He is completing this. In other words. We often look at our lives like we would look at a puzzle piece. God looks at the puzzle box and says, I know the whole picture. You don't. Do you do puzzles? Do you do puzzles online? Let us know with a thumbs up if you do puzzles online. Do you, do, do you have a puzzle that you like to do? A few people like puzzles? I hate puzzles. I hate puzzles. Um, I look at them and I try to put them together and it just drives me nuts because I pick up a piece and go, I think this one fits here. This one's gonna fit here. <clears throat> and I look at the box and I look at all the pieces on the table a few years ago, not, not too long, maybe a couple Christmases ago, we bought a puzzle piece or bought a big puzzle, thought we'd be adventurous. And you know, we got a week off. Let's put together this thousand piece puzzle. <laughs> Do you know what We did. We just had a table with scattered pieces everywhere with sort of a frame lying around that we just look at and feel depressed every time we saw it until what we did was we took all of the pieces, we just put it back in the box and said, whoop, there it goes, it's over. We're not doing this anymore. Friends, Christians, can I just tell you this, that there are no unfinished puzzles with God. There's no unfinished puzzles with God. And the puzzle of your life is that you don't see how the picture fits together at the end. But God does. And what prayer does is remind you of that fact. The problem that we have is that as we divide, this is what God can do. This is what we can do. Is that we expect prayer to change our circumstances. And it can God can supernaturally act in our circumstances to do something that just makes our lives better. But, God is calling all of us to a sacrificial life. Not always our preferred life. But if we give our lives to Him, you can be confident of this, that He who began a work in you will complete it. Just wait till your father gets home. There is no puzzle that is unfinished with your heavenly father. The problem is chair, prayer doesn't always change our circumstances the way we would like. What prayer does is change our perspective of our circumstance and gives us hope in the middle of our circumstances. And this is in no way making light of those who struggle with anxiety. All of us experience anxious thoughts. Not all of us experience full-blown anxiety. And it's interesting to me that Paul would actually continue. We don't have the verses for you intentionally, but It's interesting to me that Paul would go on and just start saying other things like whatever is true and right and noble, think about these things. Sometimes that's hard. And your circumstances, they're difficult to wrap your mind around the fact that God can use this circumstance, that there's no unfinished puzzle with him because your brain won't let you. And for those that have mental illness... This is not to say that, hey, you're just not praying hard enough and you need to pray more. Sometimes you need medication to get you to a place where you can start thinking about what's true and right and hopeful and to focus on prayer. That's not wrong. That's encouraged, as a matter of fact. But let's face it, when he goes on and says whatever is true and right and noble, think about those things. Sometimes we think of the opposite, right? Have you ever wondered why 24-hour news networks are so successful? Right? Why are they successful? Because they focus on our fears. They focus on the lookout. Websites do this with clickbait articles. Facebook does this. They elevate the oh no. The lookout. And it's only prayer that elevates us to the look up. I think Paul is talking about worship prayer. Worship as prayer. Because he knows that prayer brings peace. Because of who we are praying to. And when we pray to a God who is faithful to complete the work that he started in you. We move from look out. To look up. God knows your unfinished puzzle. You can trust Him with the pieces. And He'll put them together in a way that brings Jesus glory. As we um, kind of wrap up this thought, I think it would be fitting for us to actually put in some work today and to pray. So I'm going to ask you to just bow your head, if you're joining us online, to bow your head where you are, and we're just going to give you a couple of moments of silence. Whatever is on your mind, is it family things? Is it work things? Is it health things? Is it even maybe the small things? Just between you and your Heavenly Father, present your prayers and petitions to Him. Let's pray. You are here in this place. You are moving in our midst. Lord, the things that we have lifted up to you, our prayers and our petitions are the things that we are going through in our days and in our lives. We confess that we do not know how the puzzle fits together, but we trust that you do. We trust that you never let an unfinished puzzle go unfinished we see the pieces you see the box as we lift up these things to you we are thankful for Jesus who is the author of our faith and the finisher of our faith We can trust him because there is no other name that is greater than the name of Jesus. It is at his name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to your glory. We trust you. And we thank you for the peace that guards our hearts and minds in the person and work of Jesus. We need you, Father. To work in ways that only you can work with our big stuff and our small stuff. And we pray that you would do that for the sake and the kingdom and the person of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray.